Well, good morning. Can I add my welcome to the one that's already been given both for you in the room and wherever you are at home, whether you're meeting with groups in your home or you're on your own. It's great to have you with us uh, this morning. It's brilliant to have some people here who are in the room for the first time as well. And uh, brilliant to have people here who are new as well. So why don't we here in the room so that the people at home can hear that we all give a massive cheer. Let's give a big cheer. Come on. That's so that you at home can hear what's going on. So why not you at home give us a big cheer? Go for it wherever you are. And we can hear that roar coming through. It's brilliant to join together. And today, as has already mentioned, we're in the last of our series in Nehemiah, in this series called Take Hold. And then for next week, over the summer, we've got a new series with some guest speakers from within the Riverside Church family. And the series is going to be called The God Who dot, dot, dot. Five weeks looking at different aspects of who God is that really connects with us today. So join with us next week. Uh, Don't forget, book in to come here, uh, live here at Riverside House or join together in groups or at home, wherever you are watching on YouTube. Now, I wonder, have you been watching the Olympics? Just put your hand up if you've been watching the Olympics at home. Yeah, nod if you've been watching the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Obviously, it's been a bit different this year with no crowds and things like that. But one of the things that has been in the news this week was the bravery of Simone Biles. I don't know if you heard about that. One of the legendary gymnasts of all time was there in the middle of the team program and then announced that she needed to withdraw bravely because of her mental health. Instead of saying she needed to focus on her mental health, we have to protect our minds and our bodies and not just go out and do what the world wants us to do, she said. Hugely brave. And as is the way with these things, lots of opinion on social media saying they thought they knew best and all of this. But I think her bravery illustrates something really important for us today. And then just the other day, someone else. If your Olympics isn't your thing, maybe cricket is your thing. You may have heard the announcement from Ben Stokes, also announcing that he was withdrawing from the England cricket team taking an indefinite break from all cricket with immediate effect. And the reason? To prioritise his mental well-being along with resting his injured finger. And of course, these come on the back of a number of other sports stars over recent months doing similar things. And these struck me as we come to the end of our series in Nehemiah, this ancient book of the Bible. Because this final chapter that we're looking at today reminds us of some really important things. And it's this, that you can be so focused on what you want to achieve that you miss the most important thing. And some of these athletes have sounded this, a warning bell that you can sometimes be so focused on one thing that we end up missing something really, really crucial. And so therefore they needed to step out. Ambition may be good, but we can lose something along the way. That's true for us as individuals and that may be true for us as a church and it may be true for us as a nation. And so as we jump into this morning, hold that thought. What is it in your life? What is it in our life as a church that we long to see 
And what other things are we sidelining as a result that may be really, really important? Because in Nehemiah, the background has been this amazing journey. God's people were cast out of their land, gone into Babylon. And then the city, Jerusalem with the temple was in ruins. And then Nehemiah comes back to rebuild the wall with his people. And rebuilding the wall, signifying a new city. Because in, with a wall in place, you've got protection, you've got unity and everything. And it's been a dramatic journey and we've seen them do the wall. It's been brilliant. And then last week, if you were here, or if you listened online, watched online, Nate, kind of climaxed in this massive celebration where after it all, they were able to party because what they dreamed of, their ambition, they had achieved. Fantastic. And yet, don't we wish we'd got to the end of chapter 12? That was the end of the series because chapter 13, the last in this book of Nehemiah, ends on a massive downer when it all goes belly up because all they had dreamt of, they'd achieved and yet they'd forgotten something really, really important. And three times in chapter 13, have a look through. You might have it in front of you now or have a look in your own time. Nehemiah has to rebuke, correct God's people in verse 11, in verse 17 and in verse 25. He ends up having to rebuke his people after they've achieved all that they've achieved. There's three warnings, three questions for us all this morning, whether you're watching online or here in the room. And the first is this. Who in your life, who in our life as a church is calling the shots? I remember a few years ago, I was in a country a long way away from here and I caught a taxi with my brother. And it was one of those things when we got into the taxi, you know, when you sit and you think something doesn't feel quite right here. And the taxi driver sped off with music so loud that we couldn't even talk to each other because we sat next to each other. And going racing around, he didn't have a seatbelt on or anything like that. And then as we went around the corner, his door flew open <laughs> as we were in the taxi. And so then what happened is he had to reach his hand out, pull the door closed, and for the rest of the journey, stay there with his hand like this, closing the door with one other hand on the wheel. It was one of those journeys where my brother and I wished, we don't know this guy, we've never been in this taxi, but I want to be in the wheel, at the wheel, because I wasn't sure the person who was at the wheel could really be trusted. And Nehemiah, after all that they've achieved in chapter 13, verse 11, he has to rebuke God's people. Because they've done something dramatic. After they've rebuilt the city, there's a big error. And we read it in verse 7. Let me read it to you. Here, says Nehemiah, I learned about the evil thing that Eliashib had done in giving Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. What had happened? God's people have given Tobiah a room in the temple. Now for us, that might not seem a big deal. That's great. Give him a room. Fantastic. They had plenty of space. But Tobiah, if you remember through the journey of Nehemiah, is an enemy of God and an enemy of God's people. He's an Ammonite. He's not part of God's people at all. In fact, through Nehemiah, he's done all he can to disrupt the building of the city and the building of the temple. And so here at the very heart of God's people, if you like, at the very heart of the church, the enemy is right at the centre. 
they've given him a room. Instead of using the temple to worship in the way that God had asked them to do, in the way that was best for their community, the enemy has got a foothold and is calling the shots. So who's calling the shots? Not God, Tobiah is, who is a bully and who's against God's purposes. In other words, the person in the driving seat of their city was not God. And once that happens, it leads to all sorts of problems. Verse 10, chapter 13, shows us one of those issues. The worship leaders of the day, they were called the Levites, should have been looked after by the people of God, but they weren't provided for. So they had to leave their job and therefore go and try and make their own livelihoods. Let me read it to you, verse 10. I also learned, says Nehemiah, that the portions assigned to the, assigned to the Levites had not been given to them. And then all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. What they're saying is this. When the wrong person is calling the shots, everything begins to unravel but it may not be immediate at first. Well, what might that mean for us today as individuals? On a personal level, I guess that some of us sometimes can let other things take the wheel in the taxi of our life, which leads to all sorts of problems. Some of us, we know our tendency is to do things because of what people will think. We please people. We want to please people in the way we act. And so therefore, our desire is to be loved and accepted by others rather than doing what we know is the best course of action. Or for others of us, we know we've got people in our spheres that the decisions that we know we need to make, others are blocking that because we've given them a room, as it were, in a decision-making. And perhaps for some of us, and as I was preparing this, it may be even some of us watching now, you know there are unhealthy people who you've given more power over your decision-making than you need to do. But it's not just for individuals. It's also on a corporate level, a church level. I wonder if for us, as a church, this time of dramatic change is a gift to us. We're here in the room here, and you at home are watching, whether in groups or on your own. And we know this is a time of shift. We're trying new things. It's brilliant. People are here for the first time, kind of tentatively coming in. Do please come in, book in. It's great to have people in the room. But there's a temptation to just step back to how things were and to long to be back to how things were. And to therefore let all the busyness, all the stuff that we fill things with, make our decisions rather than what we really know God is calling us to do. That emphasis of helping people to get to know Jesus at the very heart of all we do can be so easy to slip into focusing on other things because we want to get back to how we thought their things were. And so what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah's reaction is quite brave. Verse 8 I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. He goes ballistic. He really gets rid of the room and clears it. We've been clearing stuff here at Riverside House in offices so that we can have more rooms available at the beginning of the September for kids ministry here. We've had to throw away a lot. And to be honest, there's a lot more we need to throw away. We've not had the bravery yet to do so. But what Nehemiah does, he literally storms in 
and clears the enemy out. Now, I wonder if that makes you think, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got vague recollections of another time another leader does something similar in the temple. When Jesus himself goes into the temple courts and clears out all of the moneylenders and all of the marketeers that were a barrier to people coming in. So friends, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, those things that are calling the shots in your life that are not God's way have no place, but it's not on you. Actually, Jesus has done something about it to set us free from those things. And if you're watching and you're not sure you're a follower of Jesus, you're here in the room and you're not sure whether Jesus, you'd call yourself a Christian or not. Jesus is the only one that can really set you free from those expectations, from those other things in life, the freedom to go God's way. So the question is, is he calling the shots or is some other thing? So that's the first warning. The second thing, much more briefly, is this. How do we keep passionately devoted? Because there's another problem that God's people in this final chapter have got. They've been so focused on what they wanted to achieve, something has massively dropped. Uh, Let me read it to you in verse 15 of chapter 13. In those days, Nehemiah, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. They were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. What they were doing is rather than devoting themselves to God on the Sabbath, as they were called to do, they were just conducting their business as normal. Life was going on as though God was kind of a side story, not the main deal. Now, the New Testament, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, re-envisions the Sabbath and focuses that the Sabbath is not some legalistic regime that we must follow. It's rather a gift from God to spend a day with Him, with His people, together, resting, trusting, growing. And I guess one of the applications for us as we come out of COVID, and it's certainly true for me, is friends, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're part of Riverside, we know that over the last 18 months, for many of us, patterns that we've had for years, some of us, have slipped. We've been used to getting involved, going to church, gathering with others on Sundays. And now we've been used to in our pyjamas watching it in bed. Hasn't that been brilliant? And yet gathering together in your, your pyjamas in bed is probably not the wisest thing to do. And it's now for some of us that we do need to flex that muscle again to begin to say, actually, there's something important here about gathering with others about spending time with God together that is really important. And I know that's what some of you are doing right now in homes all across this city. Fantastic. Gathering together, some of you with just one or two, others feeling a bit more confident to have a few more in. Brilliant. I am... Uh, I thought we should hear from a number of people. So I texted a few people who I knew have begun to start meeting together. This is what they said. Let me read to you. Uh, One group said, we adopted a take-as-you-find-us approach, so we feel no pressure to make everything neat and tidy, and everyone helps themselves to drink some refreshments. Most weeks, someone brings cake. So for me, that in itself is reason enough. 
We start the service when we're finished catching up and often pause the service to laugh, discuss something, rewind a song or a quote or grab another drink. Everyone really seems to enjoy meeting together. Originally, we said we'd meet once a month, but it evolved into every week for many of us. As Riverside House here begins to open, I think people will want to join in that service too. And we've decided to carry on meeting every week in our groups too. Another group said this, uh, we've only had one other couple so far, uh, but even that totally changes the dynamic and totally feels like church. Very encouraged to keep going and add more people as people are around. Someone else said this in a different group. All of the groups said how wonderful it was to pray together, to sing and worship together and to chat straight after about the talk. It made church personal. We had our windows open, presumably on those hot days. uh, And afterwards, our next door neighbour, who's never been to church, thanked us as he'd enjoyed listening to our prayers and singing. We're also alternating with one other household to host it. Friends, can I encourage us? Let's flex and let's try stuff. And I know there's different perspectives on COVID and where you're at. No pressure. But actually, many of us know this is something it's good to do because it's good to gather together. The Sabbath for Nehemiah and his people wasn't just a day to meet together. It was a day to put God first together as his people. And why was that so important and so brave? Because if you think about a society like that, an ancient world where there's no welfare provision, you only eat what you provide for your family. And so therefore to take a day out is hugely risky because you are basically saying, God, I trust you. You come first and therefore we trust you to provide for our needs. That's what the Sabbath is about. That bravery, that sort of sense of saying, God, I trust you. Friends, that's what spending time together with God is about. That's what this is in Nehemiah is about. It's basically saying, God, we trust you to provide as we head forwards. Friends, we don't know what the future will look like, but we know that God is in the business of providing. Therefore, we can trust him with all those things we're worried about. So that's the second thing. Keep passionately devoted by meeting together to trust God. Here's the third thing, the third lesson for us as we come to a close and we'll respond together. In this chapter, how do we take hold of the future? Because there's one other issue that to our contemporary ears sounds a bit odd. And to be honest, sounds a bit tricky to handle. The problem is... They are intermarrying. Now, let me read to you verse 23 to 24 of Nehemiah chapter 13. This is Nehemiah's final big problem. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Now, can I say something? Very, very sadly throughout church history and even today in some sectors of society or the world, passages like this have been used and abused to justify all sorts of racism. 
to twist the Bible so that it's uh, so that some people think this is about sort of racial purity. That is not what this is about. That is not what the Bible t- points to in any sphere. Because that verse gives a clue why intermarrying for them was such a big problem. Did you hear it? Let me read it again. Half their children spoke the language of Ashdog or one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. Now, this isn't some sort of campaign to keep the Welsh language going. How, in a culture where the acts of God are recorded in your language, if you begin to move away from knowing the language, how on earth will future generations remember God's faithfulness and God's rescue through history? And the problem with this was not about other groups. It was actually the groups they were marrying into were taking them away from knowing God and away from knowing His plans and away from knowing His his purposes. So that generations come that no longer even know how to speak the language. As the old saying goes, the first generation accepts the truth. The second generation assumes the truth. The third generation rejects the truth. It's so easy, isn't it? Because once you've forgotten what God has done as a people, then we slip into patterns that are far from what God would want. And what's the pattern as we come to a close here? Well, verse 28 spells it out for us. Let me read to you. One of the sons of Joida, son of Eliashib, the high priest was son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite. Let me read that again. The high priest was son-in-law to Sanbarat the Horonite. So Nehemiah drove him away from me. Do you see that? They'd compromised on one thing, which had then meant the high priest, if you like, the very central figure was no longer one of their people and actually was anti-God's people. The high priest. And that's why it's so important, friends, as we transition, as we journey ahead to not remember, not forget God and God's ways and God's rescue is right at the centre and needs to stay at the centre. Friends, as I close, the application is pretty clear, I think. I remember a few years ago, I was in Tunisia, North Africa, and they've got this place, which is this kind of massive salt plains, beautiful, stunning place in the baking heat, you can imagine it. But they have these kind of mirages, you know, and there's this one road that goes through it. And what you do is you kind of park on this road and then I walked out onto the salt plains, but you have to keep the car on the road in mind. Why? Well, I tried it out. I went as far as I could to just keep that little car in the distance. Then what I decided to do was to look down at my feet and then walk in the direction of the car. I took 10 paces by looking at my feet. I went like this. And when I looked up, the car was over there. Just 10 paces because I'd forgotten to fix on the most important thing. Friends, the reality is this. As God's people, the promises he has for us and the purposes to transform this city and build his kingdom, we need to stay focused on him and him at the centre. Let me read to you what Mike Pilavachi said and then I'll close. In a quote just this week, he said this. The gospel is powerful. 
The gospel does not change. We mustn't lose confidence in the good news of Jesus. And possibly what we've done in many of our churches is in order to be culturally relevant, we've forgotten that we're also meant to be culturally prophetic and distinctive. And actually the gospel goes against. The gospel is not about right-wing politics. The gospel is not about left-wing politics. The gospel is not about middle-of-the-road politics. The gospel's about another flipping kingdom altogether, he says. And it's about the kingdom of God and we have got to rise up. There's got to be a renewed move of the Spirit, um, which is about radical Christianity. We need a generation to rise up who are radically committed to the Scriptures and to all of the Scriptures and who don't come to the judge the Bible. Do I like that? Don't I? We come to the Bible to let it judge us. We've got to move back to a radical commitment to Jesus, an alternative community, and it's not complicated. So friends, we're stepping forwards into what God's called us to. We're excited. We have no idea what it'll look like. But let's keep meeting together to step forwards boldly, trusting that God in His amazing grace will use us to build His radical new kingdom.